Good morning, listeners. This is Citizen U, a forum where we explore issues and meet people in order to help you make a difference here in our community. I'm your first Wednesday of the month host, Dan Jurdy, a Mendocino County Supervisor. On the third Wednesday of the month, your host is Ukiah Mayor and Council Member Mari Roden. Today on Citizen U, we're going to um, have a conversation with uh, Glenn McGordy. Super Glenn McGordy is the supervisor for the first uh, district in Mendocino County elected in 2020. And uh, he uh, has a phenomenal background with um, academic work and practical application of that academic work with the University of California. Many people know Glenn from his 33 years of service uh, with the University of California Extension Farm Advisor Program in Ukiah. And uh, the work that he did, I think, is particularly specialized with vintners and, and um, that aspect of the economy. And uh, one thing I've noticed about Glenn is that uh, he really brings uh, a, a logical, analytical approach to everything he does, a tremendous wealth of information. And so I'm really pleased to have him on uh, Citizen U. Uh, Glenn, how are you doing over there in, in, uh, along the Russian River? <laughs> yeah, I'm doing pretty good, uh, Dan. And although you, I think you made a little bit of a mistake there because I do farm. And if you're logical and analytical, you wouldn't do that. But uh, it's just it's part of a lifestyle, I think, uh, in the, on the level that I do it. Okay. Well, thanks, Glenn. Um, so one of the things that I, I'm really impressed with the University of California Extension Program and just the approach of the state of California over the decades is how they've made this investment um, in in the people of California through the Master Plan for Education, which invested in community colleges, uh, a plan to get um, our citizens, our community members into either community college, a pathway to CSU or University of California, and then the University of California particularly focuses, has an extra focus on academic research and then practical application of that, which has really, I think, in many ways boosted California's economy. Um, if you look at it from post-World War II and, uh, it, you know, the tech industry and, and other industries, the agricultural industry in California, all, all very strong. And I, I think the University of California probably deserves significant credit for that, you know, that's that boost to the economy in California. And no, you're right. And it was a vision that uh, uh, as far as the community uh, college and state university and University of California was kind of put together by uh, Pat Brown, who was governor uh, in the 1950s and Jerry Brown's dad and Clark Carr, who uh, headed up the University of California system. And they thought that education should be uh, very available uh, if people wanted to continue and very affordable. And I think that model is is why California's economy boomed the way that it did, and especially technology in Silicon Valley. That was no accident. You had Berkeley, Stanford, Santa Clara, San Jose, all right there, uh, and uh, some public, some private, but but certainly they were producing the the people who could could uh, you know handle the the technology that started first as the aerospace industry and then moved into computer and uh, hardware and software and finally now we we find it as uh, you know all things associated with the internet and and digital technology so uh, meanwhile agriculture has been going on a long time uh, if you go back historically uh to to 150 years ago most of agriculture was was in the coastal valley so if we look at mendocino county and and uh, around 1875 you would have been surprised that we were largely self-sufficient on the food that we grew we had uh, well over 100,000 acres of grain. We had three breweries. We had mills. Uh, and of course, uh, 
sheep and cows all over and and uh it a lot of people considered the central valley uninhabitable at that time because it flooded in the winter and was hot and full of mosquitoes in the summer so the coastal valleys were a really important part of agriculture and that's kind of how mendocino evolved and i i look at that and i uh, we're talking a little bit today about economic development you can see real clearly that there's there's been a, a generational shift uh, i mean who most people don't realize that as recent as the 1940s, the, the coast was a really important agricultural producer. There was almost 25,000 acres of grain from Westport to Point Arena. Uh, there were numerous chicken farms and dairies, and times changed. And as the Central Valley of California became open and uh, economies of scale favored larger farming operations, uh, th there was a shift. And a lot of, a lot of the kids who were were kind of uh, educationally enabled, took off and became doctors and lawyers and never came back to Mendocino County. And then the ones that uh, had been in farm families moved into the woods as the, the uh, timber industry really kind of geared up after World War II. So we see these changes. And I, and I think about even myself when I showed up in, in 1987 here, we, we had Masonite and Louisiana Pacific uh, operating mills and uh, uh, you know, of course, that's changed now, and we're we're getting ready for whatever the next thing is going to be for for Mendocino County. And the question is, as a county, do we plan for that or do we just let it happen? And I think that's where we're having this discussion today. Yeah, uh, and one thing that that you brought to the board of supervisors uh, is a, a desire, and I totally supported it um, to do some strategic planning for the organization. You and I both and many people have been involved in organizations, whether it's a nonprofit or a government agency that that would routinely do a strategic plan every two, four years, update it. And um, and for whatever reason, the County Board of Supervisors had not done a strategic plan. And, and I really appreciate the fact that you spearheaded that effort to make sure that we, we did one to try to bring some focus to um, our limited resources that the county has, uh, you know, everybody looks to the county to step in and provide leadership on on every issue imaginable. But the resources are very limited at the at the county, and so it, it's you know incredibly important to have some strategy behind how you deploy those staff resources that are limited and, and financial resources. Absolutely. So strategic planning is done by most large organizations. So like the University of California, they're on about a five-year cycle. And uh, I was in the Division of Agriculture and Natural Resources. And we basically said, uh, what are the things that are important to us uh, over the next five years? And we did what was called strategic initiative. So uh, we were encouraged to engage uh, in our, our teaching and research activities in certain areas. And they're pretty broad, you know, like uh, sustainability of resources and um, you know, uh, a, a healthy children for our 4-H program. So, so there would be different things that we would do, and and we could either renew or or, or bring up new ones. Uh, so, in in recent years, one that's come up is the fire resilient communities. Uh, so, so things change, and and your organization can't do everything. So, you need to sort of focus on what your strengths are, what your resources are, and um, so we're we're trying to do that with Mendocino County. We're having a tough time because we're, uh, we, we really don't have uh, great cash flow in the county. We're a relatively poor county and um, the, the resources that we have here and, and the, the kinds of economic activities we're involved with are, are seasonal, uh, like tourism and, 
and uh, even our natural resources industries, agriculture and and forestry and cannabis are also seasonal. So, uh, you know, we don't have a, a the kind of economy, say, that uh, uh, the counties to the south of us do. But the flip side of that is we also have a little bit more enjoyable lifestyle with nature and fresh air and lack of congestion. So I guess there's always trade-offs in, in how your community is, is going to be. Yeah, and I, I like to point out the as a point of reference the the resources that the county government has that in in Mendocino County and and when you look at the per capita revenue and you know including state and federal grants the whole everything the county has about eighty cents for every dollar that the that the four cities on average have in our county per resident so the county. I think most people would agree is attempting to offer to um, offer more services than the cities. Cities offer certain services that the county doesn't, such as water and sewer, et cetera. But, but I think on the whole, I think you could argue with the jail and with the um, attorneys that are in the courtroom, et cetera, that the um, the county is attempting to offer more services than the cities. And with but with eighty cents on the dollar that the cities have, and and it's not that the cities have a surplus of money. It's just that the county. It's just an illustration of how little money the county has at its discretion. And you look at the county budget versus the state budget, and a higher percentage of the county's budget is is payroll than the state has. So. It, it, from my perspective, anytime the county can partner with the state or someone else, the cities, anybody that that can bring some resources, you know, the better because the county itself just doesn't have that discretionary extra dollar to to fully fund um, projects. Well, and that you bring up a really good point is, of course, we're agents of the state and the federal government. This is where government um, basically meets the road and, and meets people. And we that's part of our responsibility is to make sure that the uh, the law and and uh, whatever resources are designated to for communities are efficiently delivered. And it's hard. You know, we're, I, I always tell people we're two thirds the size of the state of Connecticut uh, in landmass. Connecticut has four and a half million people. Mendocino County has around 90,000. So you can see when it comes to taking care of things like infrastructure, which is supposed to be cared for, our roads and things with local tax dollars, that's pretty tough. When I forget what the number is, you probably know more than me, is it about 1,800 miles of county roads? That's, uh, Not quite that much. It's, it's, I think it's 630 of surfaced, uh, and we're not talking full two inches of AC, but, <laughs> but surfaced roads, another 300 of unpaved gravel roads. But yeah, it's, it's a, a, a very large road network that the county has and and doesn't have the resources to maintain it. Uh, federal dollars have not increased since 1994, so they've lost the federal dollars that go into the county road system has lost half its purchasing power since 1994. State dollars have kept up with inflation, and of course the county transfers a, a share of the property tax um, every year into the road budget, but our property taxes haven't kept up with inflation either. So, um, so two thirds of the legs that hold up that stool are not, you know, doing their, what they're expected to do. Uh, so Glenn, we did want to talk a little bit about the economy. It's such a big topic, but um, you know, one of the things that I wanted to talk about a little bit is both what we see happening at the County, um, how we hope to improve our partnership with, with others that are working on economic development. And then also some of the things that we're seeing, you know, regionally on the whole North Coast, uh, we you talked a little bit about how the North Coast historically um, had a strong economy here based on just the natural resources that were abundant and are still 
partially abundant, <laughs> maybe not quite the way they were um, prior to the gold rush era. And um, but but um, how how those um, new the new economy of, of the North Coast region um, is likely to develop over the next um, you know 10, 20, 30 years. And so um, maybe we could start out with um, a little bit about what the what we're hoping to see in terms of the role of the county going forward in economic development. Um, historically, the counties had not a lot of act, you know, staff time dedicated to economic development. We, you know, I think you have to go back to prior to the the cutbacks in two thousand nine when you had someone in the executive office and it was I think it was just one person working on economic development. Since then, there's been some activity in the county's planning and, and building department, but not really a full dedicated position. And and we've recently talked about. Um, relocating that position into the executive office um, to be more focused on economic development, working with the supervisors, working with the executive office. The executive office has increased its um, grant capacity um, because of the fire recoveries and other things, but now it's expanding onto other areas. And because again, we just we know that we can't fully fund these things, but there are state and federal grants out there for economic development. If if only we were doing a better job of <laughs> bringing those resources right. in. So um, I don't know. Those are some things that the way I would describe it to people. But how would you describe your vision for how the county can up its game, basically, on economic development? So, so we we have to, as usual, kind of uh, uh, take kind of a coalition approach. Uh, we don't have the the capacity to have a full blown staff. So, what we've done is we've created an economic development ad hoc, and then we have a grant with uh, a West Company and. Uh, uh, regional government services to to uh, work with us. That's Marianne Petrillo and Josh Metz, or the the faces of those two organizations. So, we've been trying to uh, come up with a a plan to address some of the things that that we think would help us. Uh, we've we've uh, and and then we we re- reach out to other organizations that are also involved in economic development, such as the uh, the North Coast uh, Re- Resource Partnership and uh, the Rural County. Representatives of California, they they have uh, grant writing capacities and, and assist uh, membership uh, counties, and and we of course belong to both. And what we're trying to do is a, is again zero in on what things could we do, what things would be of interest to Mendocino County based on what we have here. I I don't take kind of the the cargo cult approach that if you build an industrial park, everyone's going to want to locate there. I mean, sometimes you're lucky and that works out, but it. it there's not a lot of reason for people to come to Mendocino County because of our relative isolation and we don't have a large workforce and, uh, you know, places for people to live. Those are kind of limited. So what do we have? Well, we have a lot of forests and, and we kind of need to rethink how we manage forests. Forests uh, can play a really important part as we address climate change and uh, how we manage forests is a little bit different. We, first of all, have to think of them not only growing uh, lumber, but also uh, as a potential source for storing carbon. And that means bigger trees and it means thinning out the forest because right now a lot of forests are stocked around three or 400 stems per acre and, and a more mature forest that, that we found when we came here would have had 30 or 40. So uh, there there hasn't been a great way to utilize those thinnings, but now they're, the whole process of, of creating what's called green hydrogen and biochar has some real possibilities and and we have this concept of the hydrogen highway which basically would be a biofuel uh stretch of 
of Highway 101 going north uh, through the coastal counties all the way to to the Canadian border where uh, we could produce biofuels, uh, primarily hydrogen. And, and the reason for doing that is because although we want to be a, a electric economy for, for cars, it's really difficult for trucks. Trucks can only go about 75 miles on a charge and then they, they have to be recharged. Uh, so that's not real feasible. In, in a lot of cases. So what would work, though, is if we had hydrogen fuel uh, produced from biomass, which is technically possible, we call it green hydrogen, yeah. then you can run pretty much a, a conventional internal combustion motor with that, uh, but on hydrogen fuel, and, and then you can load up uh, and, and make a 300-mile trip before needing to refuel. So uh, that's kind of one of our visions, is that we have a lot of the infrastructure in place in, in the form of old... Uh, mills that are no longer used, but they certainly have the space and the access to to uh, forest thinnings. Uh, right now, we don't have a great market for forest thinnings. And through a process called pyrolysis, uh, where essentially you don't burn the fuel, you, you heat it up so it's really, really hot. So uh, you heat it up to 800 degrees Celsius and it burns at 1,000. So it, it volatilizes a lot of gases. So you, at that point, you have uh, several products that come out of that. So you can uh, make what's called syngas, which is actually flammable and, and uh, combustible, and you can run internal combustion motors on it and generate electricity. Uh, at the same time, you can make biochar, and biochar is a wonderful, sta stable form of carbon that uh, put in the ground would be good for about probably, well, I don't know, maybe four to 6,000 years, so we can fix carbon in a way that uh, makes it very, very stable, and it also improves the soil at the same time. It, it uh, uh, holds on to nutrients and water, and, and it, it, it's good stuff. It's just that we haven't been economically able to find a good way to do it, because if it's the end product, it ends up using a lot of energy to make, whereas if it's an intermediate product, then it becomes a byproduct of the process. And then finally, we can take the syngas and refine it and come up with green hydrogen. And there is a process that's still kind of being beta tested. It's not, uh, it's not quite ready for prime time, but you know, my guess is that within a decade, we'll have green hydrogen uh, made from all sorts of different stuff, all sorts of things that now go into the waste stream, including things like plastics, which is really interesting. Uh, you know, there's there's some toxicology issues that have to be worked out for some of the additives, but. Uh, since plastic is made of hydrogen and carbon, it's it's flammable, and uh, the, it could be how we deal with our plastic problem in the in the future. So, so anyway, these are some of the. That's one of the areas that that we think we have a place for in our economy. The next area we think we have a place for is the the blue zone, which is uh, I'm sure you probably have spent some time with since it's Fort Bragg centric, uh, taking the old uh, Georgia Pacific plant, and um, bringing a lot of water on shore that then could be used for aquaculture and uh, some some other purposes. And and you probably know more than me about what's going on because I know that they have some working groups on it. Um, but 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 it is a, an initiative. I don't know if you want to fill in a little bit more. I, just just that uh, I think West Company and, and others are taking, the city of Fort Bragg are taking the lead on this and, and they're partnering with the Mendocino College, which had a, um, a marine biology program on the coast. I'm not sure if it's currently fully active because when prior to college redwoods leaving the coast, they really, you know, shrunk their, their services on the coast. And so Mendocino College is in the process of building back um, academic programs at the, at the campus. But 
but uh, they're looking at a, a grant f- um, that they're hoping to get that would um, train people in this area through the the campus because it's it's been viewed for many decades as as a potential source of jobs on the coast would be um, using um, salt you know ocean water to to cultivate it could be abalone it could be any number of, of things that um, would have a market. One of the key issues with um, any kind of aquaculture is is you know, protecting against disease, you know, uh, growth within the cultivation site. Um, so the blue economy is much more than that, but it's it's many other things. But um, uh, some of the other things that that we see on the North Coast in general, the Northern California counties, is um, two other kind of energy related uh, uh, fields. Um, and to the north of us, although it maybe doesn't directly affect us. I think there's going to be um, a spinoff to us uh, possible, and that would be the um, the the major investment um, in in wind farms off of uh, Humboldt Bay. So, could you talk a little bit about that? You know, I don't know a huge amount other than that they they did uh, sell uh, potential leases for kind of a deep uh, water wind farms that would be about 20 miles off the coast, and the staging area would be Eureka. And uh, the, they're talking about generating a lot of power out of that. So the, the big challenge is going to be how do you get all that power to, to the rest of California? Because right now, PG&E's capacity for power on the North Coast is, is pretty bad. Uh, they, they basically have been telling everyone south of Fortuna and sort of north of Laytonville that they probably can't hook them up if they uh, want to build anything that requires electricity, which is pretty extraordinary. So, uh, you know, we're going to probably need transmission lines that, that would, would run uh, to California's Central Valley or, or possibly through Mendocino County to connect up with the Bay Area grid. So, uh, you know, that, that's pretty substantial, and, and that's going to really be a kind of a game changer for uh, Eureka becoming a hub for uh, wind power and uh, a lot of good jobs. Uh, they, they've got the infrastructure there in terms of buildings and things that are left over from the timber industry, which is really in a lull. But uh, there, there is the opportunity to, to, to certainly uh, have people assembling and, and moving these things offshore. And they're huge. I mean, the one, one fan blade is about the length of a football field and there's three of them on the, on the, on the wind machine. So they're, they're massive. And I think they've developed contemporary windmills so that they don't that spin nearly as fast as the earlier versions, and so they're safer for birds, I believe. As the and it, you and I both spent time up in Humboldt, attending Humboldt State University, and uh, I think we could attest that they're um, when you're standing in the Arcata Bottoms, where they've got a lot of cow pastures, and and you feel the wind coming up across from the ocean, it it makes you think that you're in the Netherlands or someplace <laughs> with all the wind over there. So. Humboldt has, for a variety of reasons, um, it's been identified as a, as a as a fertile ground for for wind farms. Um, Mendocino County, not so much, uh, because we don't have the, uh, a bay with a shallow shelf like they have off of Humboldt Bay and, and good access, plus all the wind. But I think you were telling me uh, um, prior to the today's show that that uh, a previous study had identified um, potential for a wind farm in the Point Arena area based on its wind characteristics. Yeah, Point Arena is our windiest spot, and and it would be a place where we could do a wind farm if if there was uh, interest. 
because the average wind speed needs to be about seven miles an hour. And the wind always blows a little bit in Point Arena. Sometimes it blows a lot, but that area um, along uh, uh, where the Garcia River comes into the Pacific is typically fairly windy in that spot and that and the, and the land inside. So that that's our best bet if we were going to do wind farms in Mendocino County. That's where they probably should be is on our south coast. And the third area of the the I would call it the green economy of of the energy decarbonizing the the economy on the north coast um, that's really unique to our area is geothermal and. Southern Mendocino, northern Hump, or northern Sonoma, and and uh, southern Lake County um, have just due to the geology have have had significant geothermal um, since I think the '60s um, at, at Calpine and other projects, but they were de- dependent on a, a significant amount of water that had to be replenished um, in the '90s from uh, wastewater treated wastewater that was added to the existing water. Uh, in those geysers and um, at Sonoma Clean Power, which the county of Sonoma is a part of, county of Mendocino is a part of with Sonoma, uh, the Sonoma Clean Power is partnering with now three different companies looking at three slightly different technologies to try to deploy a a new generation of of geothermal facilities that don't require nearly as much water and um, could be deployed in areas that aren't nearly as hot as the geysers Required that that technology, so uh, you and I sponsored a, a proposal for the board of supervisors, which passed unanimously. Which said the Mendocino County was a part of the the Sonoma Mendocino Geo Zone, where we're we're pledging to work cooperatively with um, Sonoma Clean Power and 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 um, these companies to try to um, see if can we get this newer technology to to work at scale. And right now they're in the process of applying for some federal um, uh, technology grants to, uh, because it is a newer technology, um, again, requiring very little water compared to the, to compare to the existing system and can be smaller facilities um, and ideally repurposed on existing, um, I would call them, uh, at existing um, geyser facilities or, or other industrial sites. I mean, you could literally be a, a small building <laughs> next to a, a vineyard or something, you know, I mean, it doesn't need to be this big, massive operation, uh, as I understand it, um, with these newer technologies. Yeah, that, that's kind of encouraging. The, the, there's two issues with the, the geysers right now is that one, that, that wastewater is a resource, so uh, they, they can treat it and reuse it for agriculture and things. So that would lessen our dependence on surface water from, for instance, from the Russian River, which would be great because we... Uh, would would have uh, more more alternatives for for water use for uh, n- not only people but also fish and wildlife. So that would be a good thing. And and the second thing is that with the water injection, we we've noticed a little swarm of earthquakes that happens all the time around there because we're we're changing the the subsurface geology when we're pumping water down. And there are, none of them have been really alarming, but they certainly have been happening ever since water injection started in that that area. So. If, if we were able to put the water to a different use, it would uh, be helpful. So I, I hope it works out, you know, but like hydrogen technology, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's been kind of, it's being beta tested. We, we, we know that it kind of works. So now we're ready to scale it up. Okay. You are listening to K, uh, Citizen U on KZUX. This is uh, Minnesota County Public Radio and uh, uh I'm your host on the first Wednesday of the month, Dan Jurdy, a Mendocino County Supervisor. Uh, Marty Roden 
Ukiah Mayor is host on the third Wednesday of the month at 9 a.m. And uh, today our guest is uh, Glenn McGordy, County Supervisor from the 1st District, which, um, Glenn, can you just describe kind of the boundaries uh, today of the 1st District? Yeah, they've changed a little bit when we uh, did our redistricting, and it makes a little bit more sense now. So uh, when you cross the Sonoma County line and you come up Highway 101, uh, basically everything sort of to the east uh, that you see is District 1 and everything to the west is District 5 until you reach Hopland. Then everything you see uh, from Mountain Peak to, to Mountain Peak is is uh, District 1. Uh, until we get to Ukiah, then it skirts around the east of Ukiah, continues on up into Redwood Valley, Potter Valley, and over the hill into the Eel River Basin and uh, into the National Forest there. So it's uh, it's... Not the smallest district, but it, uh, it's the second smallest. But it has all the flatland agriculture in it, so that's and, and irrigated agriculture. So that's why, uh, you know, I was a, a, an especially appealing candidate to many because of my background in agriculture. Yeah, it's interesting. Your district has no incorporated city within it. Um, you're adjacent to the biggest city in the county, Ukiah, uh, and mm-hmm. but you have um, several small communities and also, um, I, I would say, sort of medium-sized, uh, you know, suburban communities that are unincorporated. Correct. Yeah. The, uh, so the, I'm really the only elected politician, along with the sheriff, that serves the district. So it's a little different than uh, the, some of the other districts with incorporated cities in them. So um, uh, it, it's also kind of sparsely populated, um, but it's not the sparsest. I guess the fourth probably takes the, the award for that, along with maybe the third district of, of people who are really scattered out in the, the hinterlands. But um, we, we, we uh, really live in the sphere of, of influence of the city of Ukiah. Okay, and um, today we've been talking a little bit about uh, economic development, uh, what we see happening now and in the future. And uh, Glenn, you you serve on some different committees uh, that are mm-hmm. working on economic development. Maybe you could talk about those partnerships that the county has. Uh. Sure. So, so uh, a couple of things that have happened since I've been on the board, besides a strategic plan, I also came in advocating for an office of contracts and grants, which the University of California utilizes very heavily and that the reason for that is because uh it's been a little bit of a free-for-all sometimes with grant applications from county departments and administrating administering grants is complicated so what happens uh, uh at uc when you apply for a grant you the first thing you do before the application goes out is you register it with the office of contracts and grants so they know what you're doing and then when the uh, grant comes in they actually receive it for you and they take care of all the the legal uh contract work that that goes along with the grant then they give you an award letter saying okay congratulations you got your money and then they help guide you through the reporting uh periods and they help you track your expenses so that we're never surprised by anything and if you have money in the grant that needs spending they'll let you know and say hey you got this much left and here's the deadline uh so so we're creating the same thing in mendocino county under the uh uh, the guidance of uh, Darcy Antle. So Darcy is really quite good with money and, and finances because that was her background. She was a financial officer for Avendis Health. And uh, so so they've, we've created that. And then 
we have a, a economic development ad hoc, as I said, that's been working with West Company, and our county council is telling us, okay, you know, ad hocs are supposed to be short term. If you're going to do this long term, you probably really need to create a standing committee. And we all kind of groaned because standing committees are a little bit of a pain uh, because they have to be notice meetings and there's a lot more formality to them. But we, we're uh, going to approach the board uh, to consider having a standing committee for economic development. It would probably only meet four times a year, but we've come to the conclusion that probably the best structure for us, we can't afford a, a full-blown economic development uh, department, but, but we hope that we can uh, have at least a, a person that we can identify on staff who is kind of our liaison, like an economic development analyst like we used to have, who, who can then work with the supervisors and and consultants, because we have consultants doing grant writing for us in a, in a variety of areas. Right now, we have someone working in water. We have West Company, which is working in a broader scope of, of like we talked about, the Blue Zone uh, and, um, you know, our hydrogen highway and things. So they're, they're kind of helping us make connections. And we have other people who work uh, in, in the area of, uh, of disaster recovery and, and other infrastructure projects. So, so we, we really have the need for a capacity for, for grant writing. And then we have our partners. So like West Company, EDFC, um, uh, the North Coast Res Resource Partnership, uh, RCRC, who's helping us a lot with our internet connectivity. So, so we have a structure where uh, we can work with the outside, but have a, a you know a good county presence. Because I mean, my old saying is that if people don't hear from you, they assume you're dead. And we want to be sure that we always have someone that uh, can keep connections with with these different partners working on our behalf. So, uh, finally, there's actually the the business and. Uh, you know, other interest community itself that we we want to uh, be able to talk to and, and get their ideas. We just recently held a couple of meetings with with various uh, business leaders, one in Fort Bragg and one in uh, Ukiah that was organized by West Company and the Community Foundation to to sort of survey uh, business owners what what they are concerned about, what opportunities they think we have, um, and how they kind of view the county and, and either helping or hindering uh, economic development processes. So it was a very good listening session. So the idea behind our, our uh, standing committee on economic development is we would meet regularly, probably quarterly, and, and have a chance to, to have a, a very open forum and then keep everybody updated on what's going on with economic development and uh, also give... Uh, you know, report out to the board what we're finding, and then we can make board policy based on what we're hearing. So uh, that's kind of where where the county is right now in its economic development opportunities. And I, I got to say, that, you know, a, after 14 years on the Fort Bragg City Council coming to the county, I, I've always been frustrated with our inability to to really consistently secure state and federal grants for economic development and, and housing. Uh, at the time I left the city, the city would routinely get, um, there's one federal program that um, is consistent. It's very bureaucratic. It's administered by the state. So you have a second layer of paperwork. It's called the Community Development Block Grant Program. And and I would say both Fort Bragg and Ukiah have very successfully um, sought and obtained those grants just about every single year. And even Point Arena, in theory, could get the same amount because we're all considered small governments. But you know, it's been frustrating to see that 
during my first 10 years, and I'm hoping we'll correct this before I leave, um, that the county doesn't get one of those grants every single year. And there's no reason why we shouldn't. I mean, we, it's, we could turn in a competitive application every year. You're allowed to set aside something like 10% for a, an eligible activity that doesn't get scored. And those can be, for example, those could be an infrastructure project or something in a lower income part of the county. Well, we've got plenty of low income uh, census blocks within Mendocino County with many infrastructure needs. It could be something as simple as a road that, that the county doesn't have funding to repair that's in a low income mm -hmm. census block. It could be a water project, whatever it is. And um, if we if we can more what I'm hoping what we will be doing by um shifting from planning a building to the to the executive office uh, grants division the community development block grant i i mean i'm hopeful we should be able to get those grants every year and if if we were to set aside a public works project of some kind at, for that 10 percent set aside oftentimes the competitive grant is a business loan program well as those business loans are paid back it's called program income and if you have an already approved project, again, underfunded through the 10% set aside for public works, as the money's paid back, you can take that payback money and, and add it to your public works project. So it's an indirect way of funding your uh, some public works. It's not, it's not a panacea. It's not going to solve the county's road problems. It's, you know, it's, it's not that much money, but, you know, it could be an extra half a million dollars a year coming into, you know, public improvements in the unincorporated county of Mendocino, if it, if that program was managed the way the city of Fort Bragg managed it for years and and the way the county, I'm hoping, will be managing it in the future. So that's just an example of, of where the funding is out there from the state and federal government. But like you said, we have to be more strategic in how we apply for these funds and how we are consistent about securing those funds and reinvesting them um, but again, with some kind of strategy, <laughs> it shouldn't just be like, come one, come all. And we just randomly fund for things. There needs to be an overall game plan to how we um, use the, these funds. Yeah. You know, I think we other thing we've identified really clearly and throughout our, our board of supervisors and county government is housing. And uh, that that's some uh, a place where the community block grant, community development block grants program could probably help us. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure it's been used in the past for that. You, you probably have, know the history more than me, but uh, certainly we, we need uh, help. Yeah, and and the good thing about housing is because the state recognizes that here in California, the cost of construction is so high for many different reasons. Uh, there are other state programs for housing, and you know, um, uh, it. But again, it takes it it takes the right people to work with um, developers of housing to um, make those dollars go farther. Uh, the city of Fort Bragg um, worked for years with Danko Construction, um, now building us, they've now built a second project in Fort Bragg. And that second project, I think the entire city subsidy of that project was about $250,000. The County of Mendocino Planning Department a few years ago had a grant, didn't talk to the board about it until it brought it forward for approval. And it was, I think, four or five million dollars. It was put out just to subsidize one project, one apartment building in Ukiah, and, and we had two proposals for Ukiah-based apartments. Only the day before the hearing did they know that one of the two apartments was specifically for um, farm workers, which would have been the third apartment complex in Ukiah for farm workers in short order. The first one that was opened um, had difficulty filling the units. Second one was about to come online. 
And uh, so we funded the other one for that and, and the fact the other one had more units. But, but you know, in my opinion, had we leveraged those funds, had the county staff, and I would argue in, if they had been in the executive office working with the board, would have communicated with the cities who are in contact with these developers. And we easily could have, in my opinion, had three different RFPs and had an apartment in Willits, an apartment in Ukiah, and an apartment in, in Fort Bragg for that same amount of subsidy um, had that grant been managed differently. So, um, I, I, you know, I'll just keep arguing for that. You know, the dollars are there. We just need to do a better job of, of, of securing and, 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 and partnering with people to, to leverage those dollars farther. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I, I, I also think about our efforts in water that we did with, uh, when we hired uh, Josh Metz to, and RGS to help us with our, our efforts uh, during the drought, and uh, we paid Josh about seventy-five thousand. And uh, at the same time, we we really brought about, we really got the the state water resources people involved in our community needs. And uh, in that that time frame that Josh is working with us, we had almost twenty million dollars of activity, uh, primarily because we started to make those links and connections with the agencies. They want to help communities like ours because historically, uh, the northwestern part of California has had minimum uh, public investment from the state, you know, other than our, our freeway system. Uh, you know, we, we can't look at any great water projects. So you can get water from Lake Shasta to San Diego, but we can't get water from from Fort Bragg to Mendocino except by truck. Uh, so so these are the kinds of things that we, we know that, that we need to, to work on uh, to improve the uh, or especially our resiliency with climate change. These are things that concern us. And, and that's why I believe in having an organized effort for, for economic development and, and other infrastructure needs. And Glenn, you've mentioned a couple different times the North Coast Research Partnership for the listening audience. Um, that's a coalition of eight different counties in Northern California on the North Coast, but it goes extends inland to Siskiyou County at the north end of the state. And it's actually the northern half of Siskiyou County <laughs> because it's by watershed. And um, you and I are, are the uh, the two county board of supervisors are on that board, and the the state usually through water bonds, but other funding too has made some funding available for water projects through these regional um, uh, water agencies. And so, um, what we do on that board and and the people that we appoint to a technical advisory committee look at proposals that come in from it could be from a tribe, it could be from a city, or from a water district or from a county and uh and then score them based on the available funding and then our board you know approves the list and then it goes to the state and again it can't fund every project out there every water project but it it funds a wide variety of things everything from um restoration of watersheds like there's been a significant amount over many years and say the navarro river for example or um other investments could be in um just upgrading a a, a water you know um, sustainability project. Uh, so uh, that's just my overview of what the North Coast Research Partnership is. And and in recent years, we've also um, tried to look at um, what's going on uh, and what could it do accessing state funds to help our region um, on other things that are um, sustainable, um, like the fire resiliency has been an issue, um, trying to come up with resources to help the the, the local governments um, support um, you know removing excess biomass that's a fire hazard for example could be a project um, so we have a meeting coming up later this 
later this month or it's in may um up, it's in may. Mm-hmm. Up, up in wairika which is almost on the oregon border um for two days where yes. we're going to have a quarter one of our quarterly meetings kind of setting a um strategic plan for the next couple of years yeah i uh wairika is just about out of the state i when i was a uc farm advisor they didn't really have a viticulturist in in southern oregon so usually once a year i would go up to uh to medford and and do programs with the grape growers there kind of on a courtesy basis because uh you know we it's a small world there's really not a lot of people working in in uh as, as viticultural scientists so why is usually where you stop for or for gas before proceeding on to oregon it wasn't that far away it was like 45 minutes i think from Wairika to to medford and or, or ashland maybe so it's it's almost out of the state but it's uh uh, lovely uh, area with with mountains and snow on top of them, and I imagine it'll be really pretty this year when we go up there. So, I I, I actually had a conversation yesterday uh, with Karen Daff Gaffney, who's uh, the executive director, and she was very excited about some of the things that we're interested in and the concept of the hydrogen highway and 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 the blue zone she said her dad was a fisherman so she she thought that the blue zone economy was worth us taking a look at and and again you know it's uh, uh fort bragg and and the north coast is one of the last coastal areas of california that hasn't been highly developed so the opportunity to do some of the industries like aquaculture and so forth are, are limited in california where you could do them and uh fort bragg is, is actually a pretty perfect place and w- one of the things our economic development committee did get funded is a uh, a solar and wave powered um, desalination unit that's going to be offshore that will be making fresh water for the city of Fort Bragg. It's it's kind of a, a proof of concept kind of operation. I don't think it's going to be making thousands and thousands of gallons every day, but it it uh, is doesn't require any power uh, from the grid, so it's it's pretty cool. And that's the kind of stuff that. We hope in the blue zone economy will bring, and I know they have an application into uh, make a new ice house, which is kind of essential for the harbor. And uh, I think the the harbor district, you know, probably more than me, is kind of looking to to remake itself a little bit. Uh, time for an update and change in zoning as businesses changes. It's not the same type of uh, businesses that were there thirty or forty years ago. So they they still want to have commercial fishing, but there probably would be more direct sales to people as opposed to wholesale fishing. So it's it's interesting what's going on. Yeah, I was in a meeting at this point more than twenty years ago or about twenty years ago maybe, uh, with uh the county planning director, the county supervisor at the time, Patty Campbell, and and uh, I was one of two council members with uh, some property owners down at the harbor and and the planning director Ray Hall adv- advised the the major property owner down there at the time that um, it was a trust that that if they really wanted to change the zoning from fishing village which is fairly restrictive as approved by the coast commission that they needed to do an economic study um, in in consultation with the harbor or with the um, coastal commission that would demonstrate what is the current and future need for the fishing village zoning uh, because both the south and north harbor all of that land is zoned fishing village and um, most people would probably argue that not all of it needs to be zoned fishing village that there could be some parcels with a, a little bit more broad um, zoning and uh, but there just never has been that initiative and, and now that that 
new, fresh look might take place with the county's um, update of its LCP or local coastal plan that's underway and the city's getting an, a similar grant from the Coastal Commission for an update, which is also focused on the harbor. And um, But the county, you know, I know it gets a lot of knocks for, um, you know, not always the quickest, smoothest <laughs> approval process, but, but uh, you know, there's been some pretty creative e- efforts, um, at least when it comes to the harbor, um, because of that fishing village zoning is pretty restrictive. I think there's um, uh, a, a distillery down there that um, was able to get approved because, I, be- I believe, because they had to tie into some sort of connection with the harbor. They, they may have uh, at least one of their products has some fish product. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think you know it sort of shows the limits of what you can do with what's at least some of it's basically industrial property or light industrial with warehouse type space and people wanting to come up with something new and different um, that that meets the today's economy and, and the, the the community that we have today. Uh, we're kind of getting towards the end of the program. I think the last thing that I would mention is that um, Utah's being considered for a, a regional hospital for Adventist Health, and they're talking about building a 150-bed uh, hospital potentially at the old Masonite site, which would be a real game-changer for Ukiah's economy. And and it would also, uh, you know, put some pressure on Mendocino College to, to, to train up the workforce, uh, which they already have a nursing program, an EMT program. But that would be quite a, an economic boom for Mendocino County if that were to happen, uh, just in terms of the quality of the jobs and, and uh, all of the kind of reliant businesses that go along with supplying a hospital, whether it's food service or, or uh, you know, hotels and places for people to stay who uh, might be family of patients. So um what what Aventist is finding where they, their facilities like they have in Napa is just getting too hard to do business there. They can't really expand their campus. They can't really get people to live there because it's too expensive. So Ukiah is being considered as uh, possibly a location for a uh, new health facility. So I, I think that's pretty exciting. Uh, the, the thing that is worrying us the most is uh, where will we put everybody? Uh, Ukiah is in the process of, of having some pretty serious development we've done a lot of apartment building particularly low-income apartment building but now we're talking about a new subdivision south of town which is actually in district five uh, uh it's called uh bella vista and there will be about uh, 170 units of of kind of uh, more uh mostly middle income kind of housing so that that'll make a big difference for ukiah being able to accommodate something like uh, a new new employer like a hospital yeah and what, what i've heard you've probably heard more than i have it it could add to the employment base of ukiah as many as 300 additional um high patent jobs is that what you've heard yeah and and probably more when you look at at you know uh services that that also supply the hospital um, so so that it, it would be a big boost for for the economy if, if that were to, to come to pass. And I think what may sound a little odd because it struck me as a little odd first. Well, Adventist has a hospital in Ukiah, but then as as you mentioned, their concept is that they would close what is really their Northern California Regional Hospital in in um, outside of uh, Calistoga Angwin area, Saint Helena Angwin. 
obviously pretty expensive area to live in and mm-hmm. close and it's a, on a hillside they would close that hospital and then and then serve the northern bay area clients that they have the northern california clients they have for um their as their sort of flagship hospital would be in in ukiah under this plan and so that's why it would be a much bigger hospital than the current ukiah hospital and 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 draw from a bigger uh population that they'd be serving in would serve Mendocino County, but but way beyond our boundaries in terms of people coming in to get surgeries or, or whatever. That's right, and uh, you know they've they've been specialists in in, in heart surgery and uh, Saint Helena. So the advantage of Ukiah also is that for air ambulance service, it's much easier to get in and out of, and we have a, an airport that is fully instrumented, so you can fly much safer uh, into Ukiah than you could into Saint Helena, which is kind of in the hills and a little bit off the beaten path. So uh, that's another issue that they, they think about in ter- terms of air ambulance. So that that's why it sort of makes sense. So we, well, I think we've, we've covered a number of topics that uh, could be significant changes to the economy um, of Mendocino County and the North Coast in the next 10, 20, 30 years. And uh, we'll see how much of this comes to fruition in the next 10, 20, 30 years. Um, uh, Glenn, it's been great to have you on Citizen U. Um, we still have a couple more minutes. Um, are there just some general observations? You know, this year you're chair of the Board of Supervisors. Uh, you're in your mm-hmm. third year on the board. Um, just sort of other observations coming from the University of California Extension. But you were kind of sort of affiliated with the county because you were on the campus of the Administration Center. You came to the county with with some interaction with the county that an average person like myself comes into being a county supervisor, you know, normally doesn't really have a whole lot of direct interaction with the inner workings of county government. That's right. So I was a department chair. Uh, I, although I wasn't paid by the county, I was paid by the University of California. So we're sort of on loan. And that's kind of the brilliance of, of cooperative extension is that you live with the community you're working with. So you really get to know everybody and know the situation on the ground as opposed to being an ivory tower person who makes proclamations from on high. So, uh, you know, I was able able to understand how things worked around the, the county since I'd been here for 33 years uh, working in that department. Uh, so we're in a real tough budget cycle. Uh, I think we have a couple things going on. It's just one a reduction of income uh, a little bit. We, we did okay during COVID because a lot of people came and stayed at our hotels and things. But n- now there are, we're seeing some income go down and we're having a little bit of chaos with understanding our accounts with the auditor controller so we hope to get those things worked out but we know it's going to be kind of a tough budget year so um bear with us but we'll get through it <laughs> and uh I, I, and i'll say this coming from the city of fort bragg where we had built up reserves by the time i left that were equal to six months of operating expenses and then coming to the county which at that time i think had about two weeks of operating reserves um uh you know operating expenses and reserves today were somewhere in the neighborhood of three weeks of operating expenses it's such a small margin that the county has you know in terms of backup you know rainy day funds it's it's almost non-existent and so it's just a real struggle at the county to to build up those reserves i've said in other interviews where people have asked me i i I just think you know the culture of political culture outside of the boardroom or outside of the board um just doesn't in our county doesn't support creating a what most people consider a prudent rainy day reserve it's as soon as it's money there's a demand to spend it right now <laughs> every penny 
and um and so you know we just have to it, it needs to be an organization that can somehow work with very little reserves because of the well, political culture in my opinion that's the whole point of economic development is to try to build some of our financial capacity so that we we actually have a little bit more of a healthy economy that that brings in the, the tax base that makes it easier for us to not live on the edge good point <laughs> okay um any closing comments glenn no thank you very much dan this is a, a great conversation and i i hope people enjoyed it and uh you know we were believe it or not we, we really do work hard on your behalf it may seem at times that we we uh, aren't doing the right thing sometimes we can't talk about what's going on behind the scenes uh but we but uh you know working with this board has been a pleasure for me i find everyone is is pretty agreeable we don't we don't always see things the same way but we can have our disagreements and still continue to work well together and i really appreciate that well i, I definitely appreciate working with you glenn i think you've um brought as i said at the opening i think um a, a welcome analytical approach to what what we need to do as a community and, and what the county needs to do as an organization and I think that 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 will yield positive results for the county and not just now, but in the years ahead. So thank you for your service. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, thank you very much. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willitson Dukaya 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.